Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through verse 16. And this should be familiar if you have been in the body of Christ for any period of time. This should be a very familiar passage of text. And uh, uh, we, we, uh, we're hoping that uh, you follow along and that you go with us, if not, on this educational journey The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, and Paul is the author who wrote the book of Romans. Paul. Everybody say Paul. Paul Paul wrote it, okay? It's going to be educational as well as inspirational. He says and writes to the church in Rome, thus it's called Romans, I am under, and I'm reading out of the NASB, I am under obligation both to Greeks And to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, thus for my part, I am eager, I am excited, I am enthusiastic, I am motivated, I am moved to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why, Paul? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation. To everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's read verse 17 if by chance we have time to get there. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous or the just shall live by faith. I want to talk about what Paul says in the beginning of verse 16. He declares with boldness in his letter to the church in Rome, and he says, I am not ashamed. Turn to somebody and say, not ashamed. Amen. Amen. That's what I want to talk about, not ashamed. Now, uh, gospel, the word gospel, very familiar. As a matter of fact, the world is quite familiar with the term gospel. Uh, The world puts the word gospel as a prefix or a suffix to things we have, to different genres of different things, music, gospel music, right? Uh, Sometimes we... Uh, have gospel inspiration or gospel radio. And the insinuation, and you know, is that the music, if it has gospel before it, is going to be inspirational, is going to be something about God, something about Jesus, right? Uh, the insinuation, if there's a gospel radio station, is that, you know, you may not hear Lil Wayne on that station. You know, you know, uh, you, you, you may not hear uh, secular songs on that station. You may not hear Offset and the Two Chains and Three Chains, Five Chains, and however much change you need. And I'm just being a little facetious right now because the word gospel is put on in front of it. And if we're not careful as the people of God, we will lose our education in the flow of, of society will become empty-minded because gospel in and of itself, keep in mind, is not even a religious word. Nothing religious about the word gospel. The word gospel simply means 
good news. So the reality is you can have a gospel that has nothing to do with God. You can receive gospel about something that has nothing to do with God. If your employer tells you you're getting a raise, how many of you would call that good news? Amen. Amen. If the bank says, guess what? You can get the loan. How many of you would say that's good news? If the bank says, we free you of all that you owe, and we're going to clean everything, all your records, your NSFs, and, and, and somebody said, come on, Jesus. That's good news. Gospel in and of itself does not bring the connotation of anything religious. It simply means good news. So to qualify gospel to be something having to do with the Bible and God, we have to add and complete that sentence. Thus, it is just not good news. It is just not the good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? The good news of, everybody say that, the Now, the problem is getting us to understand what that good news is. Because if you do not understand the good news of Jesus Christ, we're subject to make it anything. We live in a world today that wants good news but doesn't necessarily want Christ. We want good news, but we don't necessarily, the world, the community, the flow of the way this, this society is going. They want good news, but don't really want Christ. They, they want inspiration. They want everything that Christ offers without the commitment to Christ. And we all know people who want everything that the commitment offers except the actual commitment. Oh, y'all don't know? Oh, I thought y'all knew. There are people in relationships that want everything the commitment offers, but not quite want the commitment. And this society wants good news, but not necessarily Christ. They want good news on how to be a better person. They want good news on how to deal with your temper. Good news with how to survive crisis. Good news and the books continue. And the library, there are libraries and libraries and libraries of books on how to be a better person. But how many of you know that to be a better person minus Christ is a, is a shallow good news? Does it really matter if you're a better person if God is not happy with you? Does it really matter if you figure out, oh, you preach the good news of how to manage money? You can manage money perfectly without flaw, but if you are not connected to Jesus, that good news is only temporary. There is only one good news that will take you beyond this world, that will take you beyond your funeral, beyond your obituary, beyond your burial, beyond the reception after with green beans and fried chicken and rolls and mashed potatoes and potato salad. There's only one bit of good news that'll take you past all of that and it is the good news of Jesus Christ we should never grow tired of the gospel 
It is the foundation of everything we do. We are here to serve the community. We are here to help people. We are here to bring people into a better life. But we are not just here to do that. We are here to introduce somebody to these people, to whoever needs it, so that he can usher them to the better life. Because we're flawed. And the very person that helps you today can hinder you tomorrow. Amen? The very person that brings you to Christ can be the one that turns you off of Christ. So we don't get caught up into following people. We're just a bunch of people here making introductions. We're introducing people to somebody so that people don't get us confused with the somebody whose good news makes a difference. So, so right, so right here, that's the introduction. We get into what Paul is doing. Paul writes this to Rome. He had never been there. He would end up there as a prisoner because he would get locked up and he would be in bondage. And he writes to the church in Rome. As a matter of fact, he's proud of them. In verse number eight, that Roman congregation, that church in Rome, everybody knew about their faith. In Romans chapter one, verse number eight, the Bible says that Paul says, your faith is known throughout the whole world. How does a person's faith get known? How does your faith become public? How does your faith become popular? Because faith is not a popular thing. I mean, it is a popular thing, but not true faith. Paul said, your faith, Rome, has been known throughout the whole world. How did that happen? How did it happen? Were they wearing t-shirts? Were they wearing bumper stickers? Were they having these rallies that said, I have faith? No. You know how your faith is known? Your faith becomes known throughout the world, not just simply by sharing it by word of mouth, but it becomes known by what you have to deal with because of it. You don't call a paper person faithful. Look at them. They're faithful. Look at the t-shirt that says, you know, I love Jesus. No. You want to know how your faith gets known? What happens when you get sick? What happens when you get enemies? What happens when life begins to crumble around you? Do you throw God, do you throw away Jesus and throw away God? Or do you stand there and with tears in your eyes endure whatever trouble you got to deal with? Faith isn't really known until trouble comes. And the church in Rome's faith was known throughout the world because guess what was known throughout the world? Their trouble. You don't get to have faith without trouble. It don't work like that. You can say, and you, you, not known faith. Now, you can be a declarer of your own faith. You can de- declare your own faith. I believe in God. In him I believe. And with him I live and with him I die. And that sounds good. But your trouble will tell off on your faith. What does your trouble say about your faith? Oh, man. See, that's not even my lesson. But what does your trouble tell about your faith? What does being broke tell about your faith? What does your bad relationship say? What does it declare about your faith? What does is, what is losing your job tell about your faith? What does not having the money tell about your faith? What is not being healthy as you'd like to be and having to go back and forth to the doctor? What does that say about your faith? Because your trouble has a testimony. 
We are not the only ones with a testimony. Your trouble has a testimony. And your trouble will either say, I got him and I got her, I broke her down, or your trouble will stand and say through being seen and known that this person is still holding on to their faith in spite of what I took from them, in spite of what I sent them through, and in spite of what they lost. What does your trouble say about your faith? Or are you a runner? Because they are runners. Runners. Runners, they run. Whenever they sense trouble, they run. And the problem is because trouble is inescapable. It isn't that God says, I don't want to test your faith, so run. No, he says, no, no. Your faith is going to be tested. You'll run from one test and run right into another one. So the Here Paul is saying, everybody knows about your faith. All throughout the world, they know what happened to you. That's why we shouldn't be ashamed when some of our mess gets out. Some of y'all get real ashamed about your mess getting out, and you want to leave the environment that's familiar with your mess. (laughs) There are people that will leave churches and move out of town because people are familiar with your mess. Your mess gets people, your mess is what introduces people to your faith. Are you on, your trouble makes that introduction because you don't know me in my trouble. You know me after my trouble. Okay, so he says their faith. Then he says, watch what Paul says. Now, here's the gospel piece. I need you to listen very carefully. He says in verse number 14 that uh, he is a debtor. Everybody say indebted. I want, the, I want you to get this. If you take notes, uh, take these notes. These are really good. Paul is not saying, he says he owes. He's under obligation. He's in debt. Now, for years, I've, I've, uh, years in the past, I preached that Paul owed God. How many of you have heard that you owe God because he brought you out? Anybody heard that? You owe it to God to do this. Here's the problem. Owing means that what was given you was a loan. Yeah, maybe this side knows what a loan is. Anybody over here know what a loan is? <laughs> Owing means that what was given to you was given to you with the idea that you have to give it back. God didn't save you and give you this as a loan. He didn't save you as a loan. It's called grace. You know what grace means? It's a gift. You, watch this, you don't have to pay God back, number one, because you can't. Where God has brought you from, you can't pay him back. You can work at a top of the line Forbes job, you can work and make six figures and you still will not be able to pay him back. As a matter of fact, he paid for it before you got here. That's what the Bible means when it says that God commended his love, Romans 5 and 8, and that while we were yet sinners, in other words, God's favor had nothing to do with us. He didn't look at us and say, you know what? I like how you are. I'm going to bless you. No, no, no. He says, I know how you are, and I'm going to bless you anyway. 
That's good news. That's the beginning of the concept of the good news that Paul is talking about. It is based on grace. He says, I am a debtor. Now watch this. He did not say, I owe God. He says, I am obligated to who? Look in the Bible. To people. Let me show you what this is like. Let me show you what this is like. Uh, Brother Purvis there, you're looking nice. You're ready to work. I know you are. You dress like it. (laughs) So let's just say uh, I'm I'm big balling, right? I say here. Come here, come here, Brother Purvis. I say, Brother Purvis, I love your family, your wife, your kids, you. I love you. So I want to give you this gift, this credit card. This credit card has a limit of $1,000. You just use it and give it back to me. Now, <laughs> this is an illustration. So where's the safety? Keep an eye on him. He, just, he was looking too confident right there up in that piece. Right? Then I say, okay, here's another credit card. Now that has that has a thousand on it. I want you to give that to your family. That's my gift. Merry Christmas. Some of y'all getting excited. You getting jittery in your I need that. I need that in my life. There are two ways you can owe people. You can owe people by saying this is a loan and having to pay me back. But you can also become a debtor if I give you a gift for somebody else and you don't pay them back. You don't pay them what I gave you. As soon as I gave him his, that's grace. When I gave him the one for his family, he's a debtor now. Who does he owe? He doesn't owe me. It's a gift from me. But you know who he owes now? He owes Sister Purvis and the boys and the mother-in-law and everybody. Now, guess what? If he takes what I give him, but he fails to give what I gave him to give his family, he is now not only a debtor, but he becomes a thief. Let me show you what God did with Paul. God gave Paul the gospel and saved him. Then Paul, God told Paul, go and preach to other people. He took his own salvation, but the reason why he's in debt to the Greeks, <laughs> he's in debt to the Gentiles and in debt to, the, to those who are uh, Jews and Gentiles and, and, and poor and rich, is because God didn't just give him something, he gave him something to give to other people. Now he's in debt to the people who God gold him to give the gift to. And when we don't share the gospel, but we received the gospel, we heard and we believed and God saved us, but we don't share it with anybody else. We are in debt and we are in debt until we tell everybody and share with everybody we know that the Lord who saved me can save you. Say amen. Yeah. Oh no, brother. Give me that. Give me that. I think you see this. I want you to see why Paul now is saying, I'm a debtor because God gave me something and then he gave me something for you. You know, sometimes kids get like that around Christmas. I'm not, I'm not going to, my kids hate for me to bring them up all the time. But, uh, but you say, okay, this is for you and this is for your, I'll, I'll use me, this is for 
Okay, I'll, I'll be honest, okay? Don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. So there's some sweet sisters in the church, and sometimes they make little pies and dainties and things that taste good and things that run your blood sugar up and, and things that are really nice and tasteful. And every now and then, you know, they I have some of my older sisters, they bake me a pie. Brother Hamilton, this is for you. And I just love it. All you older sisters who've done that, God, God bless you. <laughs> and then they'll turn around and say, now, give this to your wife. When I accepted that gift, I accepted debt. Now, if I keep my pie and eat hers too, I am now a thief. Say amen if you understand that. If God saves you, and you don't tell anybody else? And you don't introduce this salvation to anybody else? You are now not only a debtor, but when you refuse to share somebody the good news of what God can do for them and the good news of Jesus Christ, does that, would that make you a thief? What are you robbing them of? Opportunity. You're robbing them of opportunity to be what? Saved. And Paul says, no, I owe you. Not because I borrowed from you, but because God gave me something for you. And until I give you what he gave me for you, I'll be in debt. So Paul says, so I'm a debtor. And because I'm a debtor, I am eager. I'm enthused. I'm excited to come to you in Rome too. And the message that Paul was going to deliver was a goofy message to society. But God's messages based on faith are always goofy. They're silly to people who are in the world and the society and don't subscribe to faith. They're goofy and they have been historically goofy. And if you look at your own life, they are goofy. A man in a place where it never rained, builds a boat away from water and says, God told me to do this and invites people onto his psychotic boat. Is that goofy or what? Why is that goofy? Because to those who don't believe, the good news of the ark salvation was a stumbling block. And nobody got on the boat with Noah but the eight that were on the boat, his family. And because of that, because it never rained before. Well, listen how goofy it was. It never rained before. Yeah. Yeah. By, by that time, the, the water was still coming up from the ground. And you building a boat? I tell you, some people today. Then we make wisdom fight faith. And we say, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good. That, that faith he got is good and all, but it's not wise to build a boat away from water. Now we got faith and wisdom fighting. But guess what? The wisdom of the world will always be at odds with faith in God. 
there was this little boy who would, had no military experience. Who just barged up to the enemy lines. His brothers are there all suited and booted for war. And this little boy says, I can take on this giant. Do you see the history of the goofiness of faith? Now watch this. Of the good news of salvation. Now that was the good news of salvation. But it wasn't even the good news of Christ. Let me show you how goofy the good news of Jesus is. That God would use a king who comes like a slave. Watch this. Not with power and might. A carpenter's son. And with the carpenter's son, he would turn the world around and he would place, guess what? All of our sins on him. Why is that goofy? Because he didn't look the part. He was as a root out of dry ground. And people say, well, if I were there, I would have believed. No, you wouldn't have either. You'd have looked at how raggedy he was. You would have looked at how he looked. You would have looked at the scars in his, on his hand from doing carpentry. You would have seen his roughness. You would see that there was no beauty that we should desire him. And you would have probably taken the same position. So everybody that follows and has faith in the good news ends up being ridiculed by people that don't believe. This is why Paul said, I am not ashamed. No matter what other people think about this. I used to kill these people. And now I've become one of them. I'm not ashamed. Now let me help you with something. Come here a little closer. I want to talk to you. Because we live in a society that uses the gospel to take away shame. The shame of sin. Now Paul was not saying I'm not ashamed of killing folk and hunting Christians down. See, there's a difference between being ashamed of what you do and being ashamed of what Jesus did. Paul wasn't saying, I'm not ashamed. Whatever I did, I'm not ashamed of it. We live in a society that wants to do what you want to do and not be ashamed of it. The ingredient that makes sin taste bad is guilt and shame. You take that ingredient out, it becomes sugar-free. And if you're a diabetic... You can have as much of it as you like. I think y'all are getting the point. We live in a society that wants to say I'm not ashamed of what I do, even when what I do is not right. Paul is not saying that. He's not saying I'm not ashamed of what I did. He's not saying I did some things and I'm not ashamed of them. So those of us who are trying to encourage others to not feel shameful about things that they should be shameful about, we are on the wrong track. The reason why the gospel works so well is because we are ashamed of what we did, but we don't have to be ashamed of what he did for us. Paul was saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I've done some things. If you read Galatians chapter 2, I've done some things. He talks about how he persecuted the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about things he did. He was ashamed of it. But one thing he was not ashamed of, and he was not ashamed that Jesus died for his sins. So am I ashamed? Yeah, I'm ashamed. You're ashamed of some things too. 
But we're preaching a twisted gospel if we're trying to help people not be ashamed of what they have done that, were, that was wrong and improper and hurt other people. You ought to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself if you do something that's just far-fetched and wrong. You ought to be ashamed of yourself lying on people. You ought to be ashamed of yourself uh, for, you know, being a gossiper. You plant the seed, walk away, and lives fall apart because you can't keep your mouth closed. What makes the gospel so good is that it comes along and Jesus says, everything you're ashamed of, God is going to put it on me. And not only am I going to get it, I'm going to get your stuff, and then I'm going to die because of your stuff. So what it literally looks like is everything we're ashamed of that we have done, that shame, is that guilt is transferred to Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus. Does that mean we should not feel guilty? All of us know that we can say God, we can know we're forgiven and we still feel bad. Is there anybody in here that knows they've been forgiven of something but still feels bad about it? Don't manufacture getting rid of that. At that point, you're only dealing with the feeling of guilt. You're not dealing with actual guilt. And the feeling will stay around longer than, the, than forgiveness. Will linger beyond forgiveness. You can do something and some, to somebody else, not even God. And they say, no, it's okay. Is there anybody here that, that over-apologizes? Even when somebody says, it's all right. You stepped on my bad foot. I just had surgery on that foot. They filleted it open and stitched it back together. And now I'm walking with this limp. And you came along and you stepped on my foot with your high heel wearing self. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And when you operate in that lingering guilt, you begin to attempt to pay for it yourself. You overcompensate it. You say, sorry, how about we go to lunch? No, you ain't got no money. Let me make it up to you. Let's go to lunch. No, you're going to get there and ask them to pay for it. But what happens with God, that's why, that's why you don't spend your time trying to pay God back for what you did because you can't. What God did, he doesn't take the feeling and put it on Jesus. He doesn't take the feeling of guilt and put it on Jesus. You know what he takes? He takes the actual guilt and puts it on Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. You may still feel guilty, and if it's sin, you ought to be. That's you know what guilt is like? It's like the nervous system where you can fall and hurt. You know what the hurt tells you? That there's something wrong. And it reminds you that there's something wrong. You, whenever you get to the point, even in your physi physiology and your physical body, to where you don't feel anymore, you are in a dangerous place. You are in a dangerous place. If you can't feel your toes, and every diabetic knows this, if you, if you get your toe stomped and you don't feel a thing, that's not good. That's not good. It means the life flow has stopped flowing. The blood has stopped flowing to that area and it becomes subject to infection. 
So no, the good news is Jesus, didn't, God didn't send Jesus to take away the feeling. Feelings change. He sent Jesus to take away the actual guilt. He put the guilt on Jesus. And then here's the beauty of it. God took the righteousness of Jesus and he put it on us. And he says, I'm blessing you like a son. And I'm going to call you son all because of the moment when my son called to me and I didn't answer him. On that cross, Jesus says, as he's suspended between heaven and earth and he's dying as the blood is flowing, thorns on his head, pierced in his hands and feet, in order to breathe, he has to put the weight on his feet and the nails that are going through his feet just so that he can inhale. That means to breathe, to breathe hurt. And on top of that, the shame of everybody watching. If God was going to take up for his son, that would have been the time. Wouldn't you? You let somebody take your kid, stretch your kid out in front of you, take nails and drive your kid through her hand or through his hand while he's crying to you. Mama, daddy, help me. Some of y'all feel like cussing right now just for me saying it right now. God did nothing. And you know why he did nothing? Is because of what he wanted to do for all of us. So I, in the worst moment of my son's life, will treat him like he's not mine so that in the worst moments of your life, I can treat you like you're mine. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. So somebody says, what is this gospel? This is, it's, it's the fact that Jesus died. He died for your sins. He didn't just die. Died for your sins, my sins. That scene on the cross, that's the gospel. Inspirational music is not gospel. The gospel is a specific message. Okay? Be careful with the gospel thing. Yeah, it's gospel music. What they singing about? I was walking down the street the other day, and a woman came my way, but I said, I'm going to turn away from her because God is my king and my whatever. You, you talking about your, you, what? You talking about a woman. If you ain't talking about Jesus, that's not gospel of Christ. Be positive, be positive. The greatest love of all. I love these songs. I believe the children are our future. Don't you, Nate? And you know what? We need to treat them well. Amen? I know you believe this, Greg. And we need to let them lead the way. And sometimes when we see them getting in trouble, we need to show them all the beauty they possess. 
inside. Right, Greg? Kind of give him a sense of pride, right? That's good, right? But that's not the gospel of Christ. I actually told that song verse by verse to a friend of mine who didn't realize I was quoting the song. (laughs) The gospel of Christ has to do with how God sees you. (laughs) How God sees you. It's a specific message. So you say, well, I come to church. That doesn't mean you obeyed the gospel. Coming to church doesn't mean you obeyed the gospel. Coming to church means you come to church. How do you obey the gospel? Watch this. It's beautiful. I'm gonna, this is going to put the icing on the cake. This is what Jesus did. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. You obey the gospel by, by doing that same thing. Romans 6, 1 through 6, when you get a chance, read it. How shall we that are dead as sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of you that as were baptized were baptized into his death, his death, your death. Right? Thus we're buried in water. His burial, your burial. There's not magical or mystical about it. You go and you walk in his story. His story leaded him to the cross with your sins. Your story leads you to the tomb to come out without your sins. So you actually reflect the very story symbolically of what happened to Jesus and spiritually. And he got up and you get up. So this whole thing about, as I close, you know, you really don't have to be baptized. And, and church, we are getting weak on some doctrines. Man, it's, we are getting very weak on some teaching. We're letting, we're letting society and the flow of society just kind of take us. We're being tossed and turned by every wind of doctrine. No, no. Come back here, church. Come back here, people of God. If Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, why are you walking around saying, well, you really don't have to do it? Why'd you do it? So there's something that Jesus says to do that you don't really have to do? Is Jesus the problem? Do you see this? We got to get back. And I'm not saying to the traditions that shackle people and saying you got to come to church dressed a certain way or you got to do this or, you know, yeah, you can't have five songs. Oh, we've wasted our time on so many foolish things that don't make a difference and prided ourselves and pat ourselves on the back like that was the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you, Jesus is ready today to take your sins away so that when you walk out of here, you don't even look the same to God as you looked when you walked in here. It's not about us. It's how you look to him. Because you can be, you can look mighty strange to people. And God just love you and look wonderful to God. So let's, let's get back to that. So here's, here it is. Here it is. There's somebody sitting in here. You come to church. That's what you do. And that's wonderful. You're a devout churchgoer. That's wonderful. But the gospel of Christ doesn't say, you know, the good news about coming to church. That's not it. My question is, do you believe 
that Jesus took your place on that cross? Do you actually believe it? No, not like facts. Do you actually believe that Jesus took your place on that cross? And if you actually believe it, all you need to do is really believe it. I know some of y'all got a little sir. That's all you need to do is really believe it. Because if you really believe it, you don't have a problem with what it demands. If you really believe. If you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he took your place, then there shouldn't be no problem submitting when Jesus says, okay, I, you need to change. You need to change. You need to turn this thing around. Now, I know it's hard. I know you've developed some habits and some addictions and some ways of behaviors and some problems and some things you love to do and some things that are hard to break away from. I know, I know. I came in the flesh so that I can taste death for you, so that I can see what it feels like to be tempted. Jesus understands. He's right there. He knows what you go through. He knows that you've been trying to stop cussing. He was tempted too. He knows that you get tempted to do the wrong thing when you're in desperate situations. He knows. I need you to know that he knows. Stop talking to other people. They don't know. Some people don't know. And when they don't know, they judge you. Because your problem don't look like theirs. But God, Jesus says, I know. But even though he knows, he says, okay, turn around. Turn around. Turn around. You're going to still want those things, but just keep walking. Just keep walking. Turn around. Turn around, son. Don't stop. Don't stop. Oh, I've got to deal with this. I just got a problem with pornography. I just got to. Is it over? No. Jesus says, okay. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Are you, are you sorry? Don't you regret that? Come on. Come on, come on, come on back. Let's come on, get back on that. Because guess what? We would cut you off here. That's where people cut you off. I told you once, I told, told you twice. Fool me, what is, what is the saying? Come on, say it. Shame on you. Shame on me. You don't even get to a third time with some of us. Oh, if you do that, I'm just, I'm, yeah, it's over. I'm, I'm just cut you off. Let the good Lord hit you where the... Let the door hit you, whatever it is. <laughs> Something hits you. Jesus says, come on. Come on. You lied. You said you stopped lying. Come on. Come on back. Come on back. Go. Stop turning around. Stop to, oh, you got into a relationship. He's a distraction. He's a distraction. He's, why are you coming this way if he's from me? Why are you coming back this way? I'm behind you. I'm pushing you forward. Why are you and he coming back this way if I sent him? Why are you and her coming back this way if I sent her? Keep going. Keep going. Because the idea is this thing is a journey. You don't just repent once. My whole life is riddled with repentance. I got to repent every day. Sorry. I hate to disappoint you. Yeah, I was preacher has to repent. Every single day. Change my mind. Change my mind. Because as long as I'm in this body, that's what happens. But Jesus says, start the journey. That's repentance. Turn around. Start the journey. And then he says, if you confess me before men, if you are not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of you. 
And baptism, is it necessary? Yeah, he says, come. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The water ready? So that was like a real life question for somebody. <laughs> like, that was a question that demanded an answer. Like, I wasn't just being hypothetical. Is the water ready? Okay. So I believe somebody is right there. You're not ashamed. But you've been coming to church and nobody told you this part. And you think coming to church is enough. You think that does the trick. You're appeasing God. No. He says, come all the way. Come all the way. We got engaged. We ever going to get married? Been engaged for 20 years now. You've been talking about me. You brag on me. But you didn't officialize your walk with me. What are you waiting on? You come to Jesus. Everybody stand. Not sing yet. Maybe there's somebody here and you want to come to Jesus now. This is, this, this is what's going to happen. We're going to sing. And this is your opportunity to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. Now, I understand time is a thing, but let me say this, and I guess you're just going to have to deal with this as long as I'm a preacher. If you can't get the lesson for wondering what time it is, then God, then you missed out. You missed completely out. Don't come to me about the time, especially when somebody needs to come to Jesus. We only do that in church. We watch the full football game. We will cancel other things to watch the game. But in church, we got a time limit. Our beautician takes two hours just to do our hair. And that has nothing to do with being saved from sin. Now, saved from something else, but it's not saved from sin. So don't. That's the devil. That's the devil. If you got to go, just go. But there's somebody that needs to hear this. I'm convinced that somebody needed to hear this. And you're like, whoa, that, that's right. Don't just be like, whoa, that's right. You come. You walk down these aisles. We're going to sing. This is your chance to walk down. Maybe you're here and you just want prayer. Maybe you're here and you want to learn more. We got prayer counselors and ministers and, we're, and elders and leaders who are waiting for you right now. Waiting for you right now. What are we waiting for? Maybe you just need a little more explanation. But I can't do it today. Fine. Just come on down. We'll take your information. We'll call. We'll set it up. We'll do it by phone. We'll do it by inbox. We'll do it by the DM. However you want it. We'll do it just to teach you because this is an invitation to Jesus and to obey the gospel that we shouldn't be ashamed of. So come on now as together we sing. If you need to come. Just walk down these aisles.